This is Observations Q&O Podcast for, what is it, Friday, the 5th of March already? I'm not entirely sure how that happened, but it did, and here we are. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. And I'm Bruce McQuain. And uh, the hits just keep on coming this week. Yeah, you, can call, you can call them whatever you want, but hits <laughs> wouldn't be what I'd call <laughs> We have a COVID bill, uh, 9% of which actually goes to some form of COVID relief. The rest of it just goes to basically politically favored organizations. Um, And nobody's even talking about that. What they're talking about is trying to jam the minimum wage increase into it and that failing in in the Senate. Like, that's the problem with the bill. Well, they're going to get they're going to pass the bill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, watch it. You know, so that's the only thing that's uh, there. You know, the only contention is, will it have a fifteen dollar or fifteen dollar minimum wage? Wage, get it out there, or not? And that seems to be a not. Yeah, the uh, I, I, I guess the big surprise was that eight Democrats voted no on that. Yeah, when they really didn't have to. That's the thing that got me. They really didn't have to because we already knew that Joe Manchin and it was was going to vote no, which you know puts it away. So they really didn't have to. So I think, and, and most of them that voted no were moderates from sort of purplish states and that type of things. So I think they were sending a message. Yeah, it, it's it's not just Joe Manchin you have to worry about. I was looking at some people on the progressive side earlier this week. Talking about how the reality is, nothing that doesn't get nothing that Joe Manchin doesn't approve of is going to get through the Senate. It's that simple. Um, We lost like five or six Senate races that we thought we were going to win, and so we 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 didn't take the Senate. We it's it's fifty fifty, with the Vice President casting the you know the tie vote, and Joe Manchin is just sitting there. He's half a Republican already, and so now this is what we got to deal with. If we didn't win those. Senate seats, then nothing that doesn't get by Joe Manchin is going to get passed in the Senate. It's that simple. Yeah. And yet, when when push came to shove, you had people like Kristen Cinema trouncing down there in her sexy boot and short skirts to give a little <laughs> give a little curtsy as she thumbed down the uh, minimum wage, which she's getting. But a she lot wasn't of that from. big a surprise either. No, she's from Arizona, and yeah. she she. Um, Rather surprisingly, based on what I thought about her when she first went up there, she's not completely towing the progressive line on a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. We both thought, this boy, is this going to be a disaster? But so far, not so much. She's got that Arizona John McCain Maverick thing happening. I think, yeah. Uh, just on the Democratic side this time. But the, other, the others uh, were a surprise frankly. Yeah. So that's a, that, that should show it won't, but it should show the rather more radical. And I think the house, no matter what party you're talking about, I think the house is rather more radical than the Senate in almost any case. Oh, heaven, heavens. Yes. Um, no matter who's in control of it, it, either radical Republicans or radical Democrats, one of the two. Um, and this is a pretty clear message that the House, of course, will ignore completely, that the Senate is not going to roll over to progressives the way the House has, it doesn't look like. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, that that uh, is going to bother Turkey Schumer a bit. 
but uh, such is life. I mean, this is, uh, uh, you know, these, these, we've talked about this many times, but politicians never see beyond the next election. So um, after co coming after COVID, in which businesses, you know, are, are gasping for air, uh, it's not particularly smart then to say, well, we, you know, we don't really care about you. Uh, we're pitching this $15 minimum wage in here. Uh, and, and again, as I said, these more moderate Democrats know that, hey, th this next election, uh, would this would probably kill me. So I'm going to get on record now, since we know Joe Manchin's going to vote too, uh, vote it down. I'm going to get on record now to be, uh, uh, you know, being against it since it won't probably come up again. Uh, or if and if it does, it's going to take 60 votes and then I can, you know, vote for it. Well, not not only that, but coming on a day when the jobs numbers did not look all that great. Um, yeah, that's another good point. Uh, it's not uh, probably not a good time to be talking about raising uh, the minimum wage, although while most Americans did see a decline in joblessness, one notes that African-American unemployment rose to 9.9%. And even for you know the overall U.S. rate, it was still 6.2%. Yep, back to Obama levels. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and look, we've, we've been declining from uh, Trump levels since, uh, well, since the beginning of 2020. You know, yeah, we, March, March of 2020. Yeah, yeah, we started to see it. I mean, this, this is the one-year anniversary the lockdown yeah so you know not not a good time to be talking about raising the minimum wage after a year of, of job decline right exactly right so we'll uh you know we'll uh, that doesn't see. keep that doesn't keep progressive heads from exploding but you're exactly right oh yeah the the that video of Kristen or kirsten cinema today uh giving him the thumbs down in the I must say it again, the, the sexy way in which she, she did it. Um, that did not go over well on uh, Twitter at all. Yeah, uh, such is life. However, the Democrats did pass um, H.R. 1. Yeah, what a mess. To nationalize all federal elections in such a way as to make uh, any Democratic campaign consultant go into paroxysms of joy it's 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 an awful bill yeah it's absolutely terrible and uh, I, th I think one of the things it does is it allows 16 year olds to vote there you go uh, so we'll have high schoolers in there we all know how mature they are i know how mature i was <laughs> and how much they pay attention to politics and don't do what mom and dad says but anyway yeah that there, there's a ton of stuff in there that uh basically is you really don't have to have an ID just show up and vote yeah anybody who is 16 or who looks 16 uh, mm. because we because you can't ask can't, them for an ID you can't check their IDs so <laughs> pretty much if you look 16 I guess you can vote uh, there was a time when I certainly wished that uh, cigarettes and alcohol were sold on that basis yeah, yeah I, I, I know of times I tried <laughs> <laughs> just didn't work when you have a baby face it never works <laughs> but if they can't get a a increase in the minimum wage and by the way 
uh, speaking of Kirsten Cinema, really, um, I, I hesitate to use the word disingenuous, but the way she did it, it's like, well, I'm not going to, it was basically, I'm not going to overrule the Senate parliamentarian on this. This doesn't belong in this bill. We need a minimum wage bill, which I would, by the way, support. I just can't support it here yeah, and in this it, now. Yeah. She said this a while ago. This wasn't just this week. She's been talking about, she's been talking about it is inappropriate uh, for that to be in this bill. And so she's been consistent on that, as she has been consistent in saying, if you send us a clean minimum wage increase, I'll vote for it. Yep. And and Manchin basically said, he didn't say he'd vote for it, but Manchin basically said, this doesn't belong in here. And, uh, you know, he's right. It's not. And that's because it was a, the, the COVID-19 bill is a reconciliation bill in that, you know, is not a, 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 a budget item. Not a budget item. So didn't. Right not appropriate for that bill that's correct and that was the whole point but it still made uh, all the progressives very unhappy today bless their little pointed heads they figured they finally had it figured out you know and by the way i i can't imagine that hr1 in its current form is going to pass the senate either i can't either uh i've been surprised many times before but um that that would be very surprising to me um, it, it's insane. It, it's an insane bill. Uh, and, and usually insane bills don't get out of the Senate. No. And, you know, happily, they rarely get out of the House, but it looks like this one is. Well, this is this is uh, Nancy's gift to the progressives. And you know, I, this is and, this is uh, get them quiet, get it passed. It ain't going anywhere. And she knows it. Yeah. She's been around long enough to know that that's just going to be dead with the second it gets in the Senate. There's not a single right. Republican that's going to vote for it. And I can probably point out a couple of Democrats that are going to vote against it, too. Yeah. Plus, it's not a, a it's not a, a, a bill which at this point is exempt from the filibuster. Which, right. By the way, you're not going to get rid of with a 50 50 vote. So. You need 60 votes to pass it. Yep. And you don't have it. So suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> so, you know, you'll have to wait another couple of years, 16-year-olds, before you can vote. Yeah. I know they're just chomping at the bit to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, ask a 16-year-old who the vice president of the United States is. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and the ones who might know you are probably the ones that you don't want to vote. Well, I was going to say the ones who might know would probably vote Republican. <laughs> I'm not sure that that would be true anymore, but uh, well, maybe not. But yeah, I, I just uh, it's it's that's uh, gotten crazy. Speaking of which, um, did you see the deal with Joe Biden this week at the end of that? Uh, oh yeah. Hey Nance, what do you want me to do? Gone. And not only that, but he said, I guess I'm supposed to ask questions now, so go ahead and ask me yeah. your question. Boom. Yeah. Feed cut. And then on the video oh, on demand mean. version, that was completely cut out of the end of it. Although oh, the, the Biden administration says that uh, plans are afoot for the president to actually speak to the press sometime before the yeah, end and of the Yeah, yeah, before the end of the month, they said. Yeah. If you believe that, I've got some land... Well, anyway. Now they're they're setting a high bar, certainly. Oh yeah, terrific high bar. He hasn't had a press availability since the inauguration. Interesting. So he, yeah, and it you know, it's um, 
it's going to be telling. And I think we all know that it's just, I mean, this is crazy. This is, this is, um, watching this happen is, is, uh, you know, the puppet masters. I don't know how else to describe who, who in the hell else when the president of the United States is standing up there and says, okay, I'm ready to take questions, pull the plug on him. Who tell me that guy's in charge. Yeah, who who is actually who's running the show in the Biden administration? Yeah, who tell me that guy is in charge because I'll laugh in your face. Yeah, it's, it's it, it doesn't appear to be Joe Biden. And by the way, this is not something that I take any great joy in saying. Hell, I, I would rather Joe Biden, as incompetent and feckless as he has been throughout his history, I would far rather have him in charge of the thing than be in doubt about who's in charge. Yeah. And we are definitely in doubt. I mean, this is, um, you know, I, I hear the media use unprecedented a lot, but this is unprecedented. It really, really is. It's nuts is what it is. And yet he appears to have been elected president. He's Well, yeah, I mean, there he is, but that he, doesn't change the fact that this is crazy. But, I I really don't know what is going on inside that administration. When when the president says I'll take questions and then the feed just cuts off. Yeah. I I, I and, don't know who's in and, charge, but it's not the president. And by the way, he didn't even say he was going to take questions. He said I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And he and he said, "Okay, Nance, what are we doing?" And uh Nance never answered. <laughs> yeah. He says, "I'll do whatever you say." Boom, he was gone. I guess that's what she said. I guess she said this is over. <laughs> yeah. And and when are we going to see him? And this is the thing: are we going to see him in any sort of situation where we might be able to make some assessment of whether he's actually, you know, really running the show, or whether he's in charge, or has the capability of being in charge? Um, well, I, I, I think the first indicator would be that pressure, of course. Yeah, which they have been putting off since January 20th. I mean, here we are in March. The president hasn't had a single press conference or press availability. That's right. a little unusual. Um, are they? What are they doing? Are they prepping him? It just... You know, the lack of transparency always leads to conspiracy theories. And I'm not a guy yep. that likes conspiracy theories. But when you see this sort of lack of transparency, some questions are just unavoidable as yep. to what's going on, who's running the show over there. Is Biden really capable of doing the job that he was elected to do? I don't have a lot of confidence at this point that he was. I mean, he's still good to go out and give a, you know, scripted prepared statement for the most part but you know can, can he do anything beyond that i i honestly don't know and look if he goes out there and it becomes obvious that this guy is not up for the job then where do we go is it 26th amendment time yeah or 25th or 25th yeah um i i don't know i do think back to um warren or not warren g harding um uh uh, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Who was essentially a broccoli florette for the last year of his presidency. Right. And, you know, Edith Galt Wilson would lean over his bed and whisper to him and put her ear to his lips, stand up, and then announce, the president says, 
<laughs> May as well have had a seance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and you, you, you know, that's something that you could get away with in, um, you know, 1919. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how long you can get away with it in 2021. Uh, at, but if, if Joe's got a problem, I guess we're going to find out, I guess we're going to find out exactly how far you can get away with it. Exactly. I, you're exactly right. And, and, um, I think there's much less, or there, let's put it this way. There should be much less of a chance of hiding it. Like in Wilson's case. Uh, although they didn't really hide it, it was, well, it was probably pretty well known, kind of like FDR's uh, polio legs, you know. Uh, but there was a there was a uh, uh, agreement, a gentleman's agreement, that uh, they wouldn't, uh, you know, play on that stuff. And I can't, I don't know that that they can get away with that today. By the way, can I tell you how much I would love to live in a country where the president could actually be in a coma for nine months and <laughs> and it would affect my life literally not at all? Yeah. Be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, as, as horrible as Woodrow Wilson was, um, boy, it wasn't the same country back then and by any stretch of the imagination. Nope, it sure wasn't. By the way, I, I think the what was the, the the joke that somebody came up with because everybody was talking about now about how racist Woodrow Wilson was, and they said, "Well, Harvard University is changing the name of the school to the the virulently racist Woodrow Wilson School of Government." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep, it's uh, it's a new world. So yeah, I don't think they can get away with uh, hiding Joe for long. Nope, they're gonna they're gonna probably do it for as long as they can, at least to get everybody oh, sure. at least acclimatized. I'm sure there'll be some. The president has fallen ill, and so the vice president will be assuming some of his duties, and yeah. then that'll go on for you know a couple of months until they finally formalize it. But run I, his ass off. But I I I just can't believe, based on what I've seen so far. He just doesn't seem like a guy who's going to fill out the full four years of his term. I, you know, I think that's almost a given. I think there are very few people that believe he will. Uh, I, I think there were very few people who believed he would before he was elected, which makes you wonder uh, how, uh, if that was the case, uh, a 5% vote getter in the primaries for vice president is, not, is then acceptable. I mean, is it just doesn't, it, it defies any logic, that's for sure. Uh, you know, again, the lack of transparency leads to conspiracy theory. So is, was there mm. some, some deal made that, hey, if you elect Joe, you'll get Kamala before too long? So just I stay on the Joe train, let's prop I, Joe up, and then we'll have the White House in you know, I, I, six or eight Yeah, I, I, think, I think the decision was made... The way that the Democratic primary ended up folding up and everybody getting on board said to me that the fix was in and Joe was the pick. And there had to be some for everybody to, you know, fold up and walk away and say, yeah, Joe's the man. There had to be some deal making done, you would imagine. 
Well, you know, at the, you have to think back. At the time, it was, are we really going to nominate a, a, a goddamn socialist who honeymooned in the Soviet Union as president of the United States? Um, <laughs> we have to stop this. I mean, it, it just it seems to me that there was a lot of um, interest in ensuring that Bernie Sanders did not, under any circumstances, get the nomination. But if you remember, after South Carolina, South Carolina was after South Carolina, when, when Joe Biden won, uh, you know, fairly convincingly, was when the others fell in line, apparently accepted the fact that, A, we don't want Bernie, and B, we're not going to beat Joe. And, and so, and I mean, they fell in a line within a week. You know, this wasn't oh, any... Yeah. Everybody uh, just dropped straight out of the... Yeah, just the boom, you know, Joe's the man. And the only one who uh, okay. stayed in was the one guy who, at that point, knew he wasn't going to win the nomination, which was Bernie right. Sanders. Right, and and he was basically in there for deal making. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you. That that was what was happening. But, but but you have to imagine to to get everybody to fall in line like that, you had to promise something. Yeah, it it, it just. It, it, it looks like a deal. It smells like a deal, even though we have no proof whatsoever that a deal was made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, You're exactly and, right. And, and you know, personally, you know, when I when I think over this, and whenever we're talking about this, as we are now publicly, um, I I really feel this this pressure to be very circumspect about how I approach this because you know the line between this looks suspicious and it's the Freemasons gets really really thin when you start talking about stuff like this well yeah no I I understand that and that's why I try to couch it with with uh, things like you know human nature human nature says when you see that kind of behavior this is usually what has happened and and that's kind of what I saw you know, um, ambitious politicians don't just go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm out and Joe's the man, unless there's something in it for them to say that and do that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I, I, I think the assessment was made in whatever committee made the assessment or the decision that Joe Biden's name recognition, the fact he was associated with Obama, yada, yada, was probably the best uh, foot forward for the Democrats in, in that particular, and, and they were looking at what these other candidates, you know, 5%, 3%. So they're looking at that and saying, okay, this is the guy we need to get behind because he's the only guy that's going to poll anywhere near Donald Trump. He was vice president. Everybody knows who he is. He's, yeah, he's VP. He's associated with Obama. He, yeah, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So, so there had to have been some deals made, maybe not to all of them, but to some of them, uh, to walk away. I mean, you know, I, I guess the way it was done, I was surprised uh, how quickly and how uh, they capitulated. That's it. We're done. It, it reeks of being a DNC run deal. Right. Or DNC. It, it was just, it was just suddenly it was over. You know, Forrest Gump, and suddenly there were no more candidates. <laughs> yeah, and so f from March of of last year, Joe Biden was the presumptive nominee. Yeah, and we had all kinds of different primaries still to go. Yeah, I mean, this this was decided in March, for goodness' sake. Yes, yes, that's my point. My point is, well, that is my point. That's way too early, uh, especially for the for the what? What they have thirteen candidates to start with, something like that. 
Yeah, and for those of and, us who've seen, you know, a presidential campaign before, yeah, that's generally this was odd. Yeah, that's generally <laughs> not the way it it winds out. I mean, no. uh, you know, uh, most of the time in most campaigns in my whole lifetime, people have stayed in the race simply to have delegates in hand when they went to the convention so that they could uh, they broker, could broker yeah. you know, perhaps a vice presidential nod or something. They would have delegates or, yeah. that they could throw one way or the other. And so they stay in the campaign, if for no other reason than to put themselves in the position perhaps of being kingmaker, even if it's fairly obvious they're not going to win the nomination. I've never seen a political campaign where in March everybody says, oh, we lost South Carolina. Well, I guess it's over. <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was a strange one. So anyway, here we are sitting there with Joe. I go to bed at 7 o'clock, Biden. Uh, you know, he, he tries to talk to the people and they cut him off. Um, he, uh, he's just, uh, well, you, you, know, you remember was, that it was weird during the campaign that he would call a rap to events at nine o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah. The lid. And, and he'd do it six out of seven days sometimes. And when the white house made the announcement that he, he will have some press conference, you know, at the end of the month, some wag wrote on Twitter, well, it looks like Joe Biden has called the lid for March. <laughs> Which is true. Right. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. So, weird thing. Um, well, just no end of weirdness. Now, apparently, speaking of virulent racists, Theodore Geisel, Dr. Seuss. Mm. Um, Who knew? Six Who books. Who knew? Yeah, I mean, look... Ted Geisel was a communist. Let's not put too fine a point on it. Um, uh, but apparently also a virulent racist based on the content of six of his books, which the publisher has now removed from publication. And Amazon has removed secondhand copies. eBay has removed eBay, secondhand yeah. copies uh, from anybody who happens to have the book and who wants to yeah, sell yeah, them. Yeah. That is now an apparently, unsellable book. Yeah, apparently you're not just not woke enough to decide whether or not the six canceled books are appropriate, you know, for your young children. So your betters will ban them for you. And frankly, God. I'm as shocked as anyone to learn that a man born in 1904 did not have the same racial sensitivity that we have today. Yeah. My God, he showed a Chinese guy with chopsticks. Who'd have known how racist that was? You know, this is going to seem this is this is going to seem like a wildly unrelated uh, story here, but bear with me. A few weeks ago, um, uh, the uh, Field of Dreams uh, was on television, and I, I generally watch Field of Dreams when it comes on. I, I really like the movie; it's one of those quintessential baseball movies. But there's one scene in that which is kind of emblematic of where the left was in the 1990s, where they are talking about taking one of the, uh, the James Earl Jones character, who was an author, removing one of his books from the school library because it was you know, sexualized. And um, Amy Madigan gives this big speech um, about the freedom of speech and the ability to, you know, get these books and, and read them. And she referred to the person who wanted to take them off the shelves as Ava Braun. 
<laughs> and she's all happy when they leave that that meeting talking about, well, you know, this was just like the 1960s. We're sticking it to the man, man. Mm-hmm. And um, fast forward 20 years. And the people who were terrified when Ronald Reagan was president of the coming censorship and fascism from the religious right that was going to, you know, strip us of of all of our heritage through censorship. Um, these are the people who are now calling for the banning of books. It's It's been a weird reversal yeah, over the past 25 years. But like uh, like the guy at the Federalist, John Davison, said, he said that there's a partic- predictable pattern to what we're seeing now. And it's predictable because it happened before much the same way it's happening now during China's Cultural Revolution. That You know, the Chinese Communist Party at the direction of uh, Mao called for the destruction of the four olds. Old customs, old culture, old habits, old ideas. So that's what we're going through right now. We're, we're shredding our four olds because they stood in the way of Mao's socialist ideology. And, and if you look around and watch what's happening to us right now, that's exactly, precisely uh, the family, uh, capitalism, uh, you name it. Uh, name your own four olds, but it's customs, culture, habits, and ideas. That's what they're shredding. Uh, and, and, they're not, and they're doing it the way the communists did it with propaganda. The propaganda wasn't there to convince you, it was there to humiliate you. And, and, and so, if you, you know, you're mocked and humiliated if, if uh, you don't toe their line. Watch Twitter for a day and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, Twitter is kind of the locus of all of the sort of social craziness that's going on in yeah. the country right now. Yeah, exactly. Just watch it for a day and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The, the, the attacks on customs, culture, habits and ideas. Uh, old old ones, the ones that form the basis uh, of the uh, prosperity we've, we've enjoyed for, uh, you know, 200 years. That's what's under attack, and that's what stands in front of uh, or in the way of uh, the, the ideology that the uh, progressive left is pushing. And, and Twitter is very useful for doing that because Twitter, because of the, the, the nature of that medium with 240 characters, and that's all you've got. There is no reason. There is no discourse. Everything just comes down to ridicule and quips and shame. Twitter is peculiarly well-suited for people with propagandistic impulses. Yeah, exactly right. You know, it's kind of interesting, too. The other uh, people that are using... uh, identity politics and, and as a weapon uh, are our enemies. I mean, China has responded to international criticism about the Uyghurs uh, by saying they're going to submit a report on human rights violations in the United States that will discuss Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, Russia, meanwhile, has convinced Amnesty International to revoke the prisoner of conscience label from uh, our, our favorite Russian dissident now in jail, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, because he, he uh, Nav- what's his name, Navalny? Uh, Alexander Navalny. Yeah, Navalny, because he, decades ago, was an anti-immigrant guy. So that's, you know, this is what you're seeing. Uh, it, um, 
China, <laughs> Russia, <laughs> Iran are using words like white supremacy and systemic racism. By, by, uh, here's the thing that is so um, cynical about that. Because um, as recently as six months ago, the um, term anti-immigrant guy in Russia would have been synonymous with, you know, Russian. Yeah. The, the Russians may be one of the most xenophobic people on the earth. Amen. Absolutely correct. And so he was probably mainstream at, at that point. But now they can use this against us and with Amnesty International because he ain't woke. His old comments aren't woke. You know, the, the term cultural suicide has begun flitting around in my mind of late. Yeah. And we're in the middle of it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this, this, this complete self-negating idea about pretty much everything this country has ever done. And whenever you're dragging Theodore Geisel out as an example of virulent racism. <laughs> oh, and by the way, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street is a book that was published in 1936. How, how woke did you expect it to be? And by the way, it's not going to stop with him. You know, they're going to go after the Berenstain Bears next. Oh, you watch it. They're going to go through it. Well, I mean, the Muppets, for heaven's sakes, have a have a warning on them now. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, what is it, Disney Plus put a warning on the, yeah. on oh, the Muppet God. show? There. You, know, you can't be watching these Muppets, you know, because they're not woke. And I've, I've never understood the impulse of taking people who were born in a particular time and place, far removed from us, um, and then demanding that uh, they be, well, I guess the term is canceled now, demanding that they be canceled because they don't share the modern sensibilities that we're all supposed to share now, and they didn't <laughs> mouth the same pieties a hundred years ago. And it's not just a hundred years ago. I mean, they're going back hundreds of years. Columbus uh, is is basically, you know, persona non grata on the left. Um, by the standards of his day, Columbus would have been only exceptional in his lack of viciousness compared to people like Francisco Pizarro. Or Hernando Cortez. Or Hernando Cortez or Fernando de Soto. We can name a whole bunch of his compatriots at the, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, and you know that's history. We understand that, and we learn from that. We've no. and what we learn from that is w that was wrong. And so over the years, we changed that. Um, but you know, I, I it, it still bothers me today that uh, we seem to have a group of people in this in, in this country who think that slavery was invented here. You know, that this is the only place that ever had it, when in fact, it's as old as man. And still going on, by the way. Yeah, uh, it, it, but again, it's a, there's just a level of historical illiteracy that's, that's just completely it's unsustainable. Yeah, it is, it is it's, stunning. It's stunning.
you wonder what kids are learning in school, then you take a look at some well, of their curriculum. They're not. It becomes obvious. You saw the you saw the story this week about the kid who passed three classes in four years, has a point one three GPA, and is in the top half of his class. Well, it sounds like he's really putting in the work. Well, there you go. Baltimore, good old Baltimore public schools. Let's give them more money. I don't understand I mean, how people who live <laughs> in cities like Baltimore or Chicago or you know, Detroit, cities that have been run by Democrats for decades at this point, yeah. people who have been remarkably ill-served by the political leadership that they keep voting into office. And it never seems to occur to them that perhaps we are we continue to vote for failure and maybe that's not the way to keep going. I just don't. But let's give the vote to 60. Yeah, that'll, that'll improve the, uh, <laughs> the intellectual rigor of the electorate. No, that, that story stunned me. And, and, you know, a million questions pop up in your head. Uh, you know, if he passed three classes out of 22 in four years, his, his, and his mother thought he was going to graduate but he has to start over. Where was she? And where was the school? And why didn't the school communicate with her? And how do you expect the kid that, that missed 232 days out of those four years was going to graduate? Well, look, we saw last week or week before last that uh, California school board meeting where they didn't think anybody was listening to them. So they can yeah. just talk about how, you know, how they just want uh, their babysitters. They just want their babysitters. Well, wait a second. That's not the deal. The deal we made was that my child's attendance at school was mandatory. And so you're not my babysitter. It's the state telling me that I have to send my child there. And now I and, and I've built my life around this understanding that my kids have to go to school. And so, therefore, I can actually go to work to support them and, you know, not have daycare or whatever else it may be. I mean, that's the deal that we made in this country a century ago. And now we're coming along. We've changed the deal. And if I'm upset about it, it's because I'm the asshole. OK. <laughs> yeah, well. There you go. You, know, you forced me to live by the deal you shoved down my throat. And now that you're not holding up your end, I, I'm, I'm the jerk. Okay, I get it. But, you yeah. know, everybody thinks they're the reasonable ones. I know. Well, I mean, look how reasonable it is right now down at the border. What a, what a freaking disaster. Yeah, yesterday, I mean, within, within a month, yeah, it yeah. has turned into an absolute disaster. Yesterday, the Biden administration announced that they would be setting up tent cities. Oh, no, no, no cages? <laughs> or, or permanent dwellings. Uh, but that's okay. It's not like anybody's going to live there because they are being set up as processing centers for catch and release. So you'll get caught, yeah. you'll be sent to your, you know, your tent city to stay for a day or two until they can identify you and give you a court date, and then you're released on your own recognizance. And I'm sure yep. and me, you'll and, show up in court. And meanwhile, and meanwhile, uh, because Joe said, come on down, and, and, and a group showed up in, in Tijuana with shirts that said, Biden, please let us in. Love to know who's paying for those. But meanwhile, with the, with the border going absolutely nuts, 
we had an SUV that normally carries eight with 25 illegals in it. And they got T-boned by a big old construction truck and killed 13 of them. This is what, you know, so, hey, Joe, a little blood on your hands, buddy. I mean, this is nuts. Uh, so you got 13 dead illegals. You've got, uh, you know, he, Biden got this briefing this week saying, hey, we need, uh, you know, like 20,000 beds to shelter the unexpected crush of illegal children crossing the border. And, and DHS is now currently projecting there'll be 117,000 unaccompanied illegal children crossing the border this year. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Oh, and here's my favorite, my favorite, uh, oh, HHS is expected to reach its shelter capacity later this month, according to two sources. So they'll be full up this month, at the end of this month. And my favorite paragraph in that, in that story was this. Uh, this blew me away. They plan to end a Trump-era agreement between DHS and HHS that included strict sponsor vetting requirements, a practice some advocates say had a chilling effect on sponsors' willingness to offer their homes. And I added, and especially among the pedophiles and the human traffickers. Yeah. They were they were trafficking when Obama was there. They were trafficking those kids right and left. And that's why that program was set up. So we're back to letting the pedophiles and human traffickers have at them. Yeah. Well, amazing. At some point, um, Ronald Reagan decided he would knuckle under and do his the, biggest mistake of the pre his presidency. Do yes. the 1986 Immigration Reform Act. Yeah, and, and that's been held as a, a as a sword over the right wing's head ever since. Yep, and it has been the cause of the huge increase in illegal immigration that has occurred since, and. Any time that you try to do anything to revise it or to take a step back from it, you're instantly pilloried as a horrible racist who just yeah. doesn't want brown people to come to the United States. That's right. The propaganda kicks in and you are humiliated. That's right. And mocked and attacked. Just yeah. like commies. Yep. It's all propaganda. Yeah. And so we no longer have kids in cages. Uh, we have them in soft-sided structures. And they're no longer just a few thousand. We're looking for 117,000 of them this year. Yeah, and I guarantee you that AOC won't be going down to Texas or wherever to weep in, a, in front of the gate to an empty access road. Oh, heavens no. No, no, no. This is, this is good stuff now. Uh, all we have to do is change the wording and it's good you know I, uh, at some point you just have to wonder when or if the average person in this country just stands up and says nope this is enough we're not going to do this anymore yeah I wonder I don't know that it'll ever happen though not not from what I've seen it's going to have to let's just say it'll have to get a lot worse than it is now and it's pretty bad now well, see, that's always my fear because my estimate of the American character, and let's assume that I'm at least in the ballpark of being right about this, is that Americans don't want trouble and they don't want to be bothered and they don't want to exert themselves. I think it was Winston Churchill who once said, the Americans can always be counted on to do the right thing when all other options have been exhausted. 
Right. That's and, pretty true. And you that, know that was that. It's pretty much a different way. Yamamoto had a different way of saying that. You know, by saying he, he was afraid they'd awaken the a sleeping what bear, a sleeping say, giant, and filled him with sleeping giant. Or, yeah, he was. He was. He, he he felt that they had gotten to that point that by bombing Pearl Harbor they had exhausted all options. Yeah. Um, also, you know, here's something you never hear very often. In defense of Yamamoto, he did think that a declaration of war had been delivered to the United States before he bombed Pearl Harbor. True. That's that's true. <laughs> yeah. It was it was the we don't know how international time works thing. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> time zones? What are those? Um, yeah, that's true. And, and he my, thought he he thought the little guys that were there to, to to do their thing had already done it when he hit Pearl Harbor. Yeah, they showed up half an hour Jap- later. There was a Japanese delegation in D.C. to do exactly that. Yeah, and they showed up half an hour late. You're right. And met a very oh. frosty reception from Secretary of State <laughs> Cordell Hall. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Oh, by the way, we're at war. Oh, are we? <laughs> um, but the... The, the the fear that I have is that rather than just standing up and saying, okay, you got to stop this, stop it now, before before this gets out of hand, is that the American people are going to wait until it does get out of hand. Yeah. And then being good Americans, they will do something frightfully heinous to try to yeah. put things back in order. Yeah. Yep. That's probably what's going to happen. You know, on December 6, 1941, the largest political constituency in this country was the the isolationist faction. Yes. And no one thought we were going to war. And that changed in basically 24 hours. Yep. Where everyone, well, everyone was down uh, volunteering and joining up. Yeah. As soon as the news came out, everybody knew we were going to war, and they all joined up. And, yeah. it, you know, that's the way that Americans do. We don't want trouble. We want to stay out of things. We, we you know, it, it's funny. For as violent a people as we are, certainly in international terms, um, for the most part, we are people who just want to be left alone. And we don't want yeah. to be bothered. And we don't want to pay attention to things that that might bother us. And then when we do decide to give it our attention, holy shit, do we give it our attention? Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, 9-11 uh, gives you a good example of that. Uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, how the groundswell of uh, emotion that, that had people, you know, dropping out a good job. I mean, football players uh, joining the Army. Uh, As enlisted know, men. As enlisted, yeah, exactly. I mean, you had, you know, this was this was a big deal, and uh, so, so that to me says that the character hasn't changed. I, I I think your point is dead on. The character hasn't changed. We just, you know, don't want to deal with it right now. Yeah, and you know, this is the perfect time if you are a propagandist to try to move everything as far along as you can because everyone is so distracted yeah. by this COVID stuff and worried about jobs and this and that. Um, this might be a good time to try to sneak a few things under the table while people's opinion or, or attentions are exactly elsewhere. right. 
Exactly right. But that attention well, won't speaking, be elsewhere forever. Speaking of COVID, oh, Mr. You know, <clears throat> Mr. Joe Unity Biden uh, called a bunch of governors Neanderthals this week. Uh, at least he didn't tweet it, you know. <laughs> there, there are now 16 states with no mask mandates and, and uh, have fully opened. And apparently that terrifies the experts and the Karens and pretty much most of the left. Well, see, here's the I thing. Mean, it's, Greg Abbott, whenever he opened Texas, and they were the first, of course, uh, to fully open, to 100% get rid of the mandates. And his public statement on the issue was, look, we've been living with this for a year. We all know what we're supposed to do. There you go. We don't need the state of Texas now coming in and telling you how to run your life or how to run your business. You know what you're supposed to do. And by the way, just because I'm not going to have the cops come around and roust you if you're not wearing a mask doesn't mean that you shouldn't be wearing a mask. And it doesn't mean that if you're running a business, you can't tell people they have to wear a mask to come into your business. None of that is changed. But you can't. Yeah, you can't. But None of that has changed. All I'm saying is we're not going to send the cops around to arrest you. Right. And and the response to that has just been amazing to me from the left because all of their arguments against it really boil down to nothing more than you people are so stupid and are so incredibly unable to live your own lives that it requires the threat of violence through the police power of the state to force you to uh, take careful regard of your own life. Well, Howie Carr laid it out. He said the reason is because it, this isn't about public health anymore, or, or even politics if it ever was. He said COVID is now the state religion, and the decisions by these GOP governors aren't seen as a policy, policy dispute. They're considered heresy. He said, remember the 15 days to flatten the curve? That was a year ago, and there's no end in sight. So that's pretty much it. This is heresy. These guys are heretics, and they need to be mocked and humiliated. Uh, and uh, wild-ass uh, claims need to be made about what's going to happen when, in fact, everyone else can see the curve going down. Everyone else can understand that we're approaching herd, uh, herd immunity and, and that we have a vaccines out there that will soon catch up with just about everybody. So maybe it's a good time to open up. And yes, we have learned how to live with this. And by the way, you still have the choice to wear a mask if you want to. Nobody's going to keep you from wearing a mask. Yeah. Nobody's going to stop you, really. The, the only thing that's happening is the state is no longer saying we're going to make you. Yeah. That's and literally the only change. And some states never did. Yeah, but it doesn't. South Dakota uh, never did. But it and has, they're no worse off than anybody else. But it has been. But it's become about control. And, yes. And look. Uh, again, I always go back to, to Dr. Fauci on this. This guy came on national television and told me to my face that it was pointless for me to wear a mask, that it wouldn't protect me. And the only reason mm -hmm. he was telling me that, and I knew it at the time, was to prevent me from buying a mask to protect myself so that there wouldn't be a shortage among medical workers. And he admitted as much, um, you know, two months later. Yeah, he lied. He lied, and we and it was an obvious lie then, um, and apparently one that he not only acknowledges but is glad he told, 
Because yeah, we're just he's proud of it. We're, we're too stupid to be trusted with the truth. Amazing. That's not the country I want to live in. No. And so. Nope. That is, you know, that, this this whole coronavirus thing has really started to, to get in my craw because it has ceased to be about public health. You know, we've been living in a state of emergency for over a year now. Yeah. That's one hell of an emergency. Yep. And look what it's done. Yeah. Well, look what it's done. And by the way, Joe Biden said you know, earlier this week he expects to get back to normal around this time next year. Yeah, BS. BS. Yeah, never if these people have their way, as far as I can tell. Well, it's like anything else that Joe Biden says. Well, that was then. This is no wait. That's Jerry Bear, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, and by the way, yeah. you're, you're... Joe, no, a year from now, Joe would just say, "Well, we're not there yet." You yeah, know? Exactly. You, you can see this. You've seen it before. You know, uh, yeah, we're not there. Yeah, the expert science, blah blah blah. You know. Yeah, and um, speaking of vaccines, uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has run into a little trouble. Oh, has it? Uh, it has, because apparently uh, this vaccine was developed um, largely as a result of stem cell research from aborted uh, fetus stem cells. Oh, lovely. And so, therefore, um, there is some controversy among the pro-life movement about whether the Johnson & Johnson thing should even be allowed because it's deeply immoral to have a vaccine from embryonic stem cells, basically. Little little dead bodies. Exactly. So that's thrown in a, a little bit of a wrinkle. And, of course, people, yes, on the left, people on the left now, of course, are just saying that is some sort of, of uh, medieval superstition. Right. Of course it is. Killing babies is a good thing. Anyway. Yeah. Just, just I, thought I, I'd bring that up while we were mentioning vaccines in passing. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, by the way, have you been keeping up with Nancy's army? You know, the, the National Guard troops. And, uh, hey, they the, got a uh, ribbon. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would. I know what I'd do with that ribbon. Anyway. <clears throat> but, you know, you, you know what this is? This is, this is all part of building that, that right-wing extremists are a threat narrative oh, yeah, that they've is. been trying to do since January the 6th. It, it was interesting. You, you, how many I, – I was reading an article that said that um, – it's been called an armed insurrection over 2,500 times in reports and stories and stuff about the riot there. And yet this week, when they were doing some testimony with the FBI and that type, Ron Johnson asked Jill Sanborn, who is an FBI official, how many guns and firearms were confiscated from the rioters that day? And she says, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Metro and Capitol Police, but my knowledge, none. That's right. So there wasn't a single single firearm in the whole damn place. Yeah. Uh, but it's an armed insurrection. You know. Uh, so, so so this is this is how, you know, y you rewrite history and create a narrative. You're watching it right in front of your eyes. And, and so that the razor wire and the human props that are the National Guardsmen, they're an important part of this. 
Yeah, it, it is uh, all a propaganda. Yeah. It's all a propaganda yeah, effort. It's, it's all a narrative construction. This is what's going on. What happened on the 6th of January was not in any way, shape, or form an insurrection. And by the way, I've got news for you. There's 120-plus million gun owners in this country. When there's an armed insurrection, you'll fucking know it. Yeah. And meanwhile, we got our National Guard's soldiers out there in their third month uh, of, quote, protecting the Capitol, and they're poisoned with rotten food that had worms in it and metal shavings, and apparently no one really gives a shit. Yeah, uh, by I the mean, way, rather 50 than... 50 soldiers. Rather than, you know, they gave them a ribbon, I guess. Yeah, rather know. than give me a red, white, and blue ribbon, how about not making me sleep in parking garages and give me edible food? Yeah, exactly. I mean, undercooked, rotten, had worms in it, had metal shavings, mold... I mean, it was just, this is disgusting. And this is the way they're treated. They're treated as, you know, chattel. But they get an uh, inauguration service ribbon for it. Yeah, well, that and uh, apparently they protected the Capitol from a right-wing extremist attack this week that never, ever gave a hint of materializing in reality. Not even a whisper. Oh, yeah, all this talk earlier in the week about, oh, March 4th, there's going to be an armed insurrection. These people are coming to the Capitol. huge. Yeah, no. Not even a whisper. Not even a whisper. No, it didn't happen because yeah, this is more the narrative building. Yeah, and and brave Al Green went out and sat on the Capitol steps and and was going to stare them down. I guess. Well, that reminds me, uh, um, Swalwell, Eric Swalwell, uh, said today that during uh, January sixth, he was prepared to do hand to hand combat. (laughs) Uh, I'll take things that never happened for eight hundred, (laughs) Alex. <laughs> Eric Sawwell. Holy crap. Now there's one abortion you should have had. Boy, that fella is as <laughs> dumb as they come. Look. But you know, he he is yeah. he is perfectly emblematic of the average congressman. A person who, a person who knows nothing, who has not learned anything since he first got whatever opinions he has. Uh, a mind like a steel trap, as one of my uh, coaches used to say. Um, <laughs> and yet, combined with that ignorance, is uh, just just a mind-numbing level of arrogance. Well, not only that, yeah, he, he just doesn't know how ignorant he is. That's what's hilarious. It's, it's I the, mean, he is. Every member of Congress is a great illustration of the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> it's amazing. It really is amazing. It's amazing how confident you can be when you don't even know what you don't know. Right. That's exactly right. And he hasn't a clue. I mean, that man is just, uh, he's yours, California. Although, you know, I was was thinking back, I I was listening to a podcast this week where uh, Kevin Williamson and Charles C.W. Cook were actually talking about it. And they brought up, uh, Charles C.W. Cook brought up that, you know, the, the, the framers of the Constitution were shocked and stunned at the caliber of people who actually got elected in the first Congress because, really? because they were just the biggest bunch of country lawyer hayseeds whose entire election campaign was, who do you want running the country, you or these, uh, these aristocrats from Virginia with their horses and their <laughs> plantations? And so they were so so many members of the founding generation were just stunned at the 
lack of capability that was demonstrated by the average person who won a seat in Congress. Oh, my goodness. A, a tradition that is uh, apparently a proud American tradition now more than 200 years old. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's... Uh... I get stunned sometimes too. I mean, it's just I don't. Yeah, I don't know how you can help but be stunned by it. Well, look at some of the. I mean, Maxine Waters, for God's sake. Um, Jesus. She doesn't even live in her district. No, and doesn't. And is proud. Of, I mean, she just flaunts everything. She gives her kid, you know, millions of bucks to mail envelopes, and I mean, she flaunts everything and just you know smiles at you when you call her on it. And why shouldn't she? She's never going to be called to account for it. Absolutely not. And she's never going never to lose will. an election in that district. Nancy Pelosi, so that, same right. thing. doesn't matter what Nancy Pelosi does. She knows she will never lose an election. Yep, yeah, and, and will never be hold to, held to account. These people know that. Indeed, they've it's built the a system. They, they've yeah, it's the backbenchers. Yeah, it's the backbenchers. Yeah, they've built a system that ensures that. I, I tell you what, probably nobody, yeah. nobody was more surprised probably than Dan Rostenkowski whenever he got busted on the House mail scandal. Yeah, I'd be exactly right, because he was a very powerful guy. It was one of the few exceptions. And, of course, there was, uh, can't think of his name. He didn't last very long. The Speaker of the House on the Republican side, they got run out. Haskins? Uh, Dennis you know Master. talking about. Yes. Yeah, he was gone. Gingrich was was forced out. I mean, there have been those that have been run out, but uh, for the most part, yeah, not, and especially not today. I mean, hell, you can't even get Andrew Cuomo out of New York. No, I mean, he killed, what, 15,000 people, and he's now got, yeah. now he's got three corroborated sexual harassment allegations against him. <laughs> and what are, and what are everybody, what's everybody more excited about? Oh, sexual harassment. You got to get rid of him. Screw the 15,000 dead people. And, and look, I'm not entirely sure we're going to get rid of him for sexual harassment. I mean, whenever Brooke. No, he said he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he, 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 he called, whenever, he called uh, the governor of Virginia and said, how'd you do that? Whenever um, <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh was nominated, one uncorroborated assertion of oh. sexual misconduct was enough to almost torpedo his, uh, and the Democrats assured us that it should have torpedoed his nomination to the Supreme Court. Now you've got Andrew Cuomo yeah. um, with corroborated sexual harassment allegations, and Alyssa Milano is now coming out talking about why we should give him a break. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And Andrew Cuomo's uh, defense is, well, hey, you know, I'm Italian. I like to touch people. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. And what was uh, what was the governor of Virginia's excuse? Hey, I'm a southerner. And I like to wear blackface and clan robes. You know what, Ralph Northam? <laughs> here's here's the thing. You have to hand it to Ralph Northam. He never made an excuse for it, and we still to this day don't know who who was in blackface and who was in the clanhood. Right, but he was one of them. And the fact that there, were, I guess, that he, we don't know which one was good enough for the Democrats. Jesus, I swear. Yeah, I mean, to this day, we don't know which of the two people in that photograph he was. But yeah, I'll tell you another one that got run out. Of, run out was remember Bob Packwood? Yeah, well, 
<laughs> Bob Packwood was more than a little handsy, my friend. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. He uh, he met the Cuomo test, or Cuomo met the Pac Packwood test. One of the two. Ah, uh, no, actually, Cuomo fails one of the um, one of the primary uh, criteria for the Packwood test, which is that he is not a Republican. <laughs> Bob, Good point. Bob Packwood was. Yeah. Good point. <clears throat> Although, with as much time as the Republicans spend talking about social issues and whatnot, um, they can be tarred with the um, the uh, hypocrisy label uh, a hell of a lot easier than someone like, say, Ted Kennedy, who never pretended to be anything other than what he was. Well, that's true. When you have no Ted standards, Kennedy you was... can't be a hypocrite for uh, uh, violating them. <laughs> It's absolutely true. <clears throat> yeah. And I've been saying, was a... I, I, you know, I've been saying for years that the Republicans have spent so much time on, at, at the national level anyway, so much time on cultural issues that they have completely lost the plot of what, you know, traditional conservatism was supposed to be about. Nobody gives a shit yeah. about the federal budget. Nobody gives a shit about the debt. Um well, national defense. I mean, all that stuff is gone. It's now cultural hot button issues for which, by the way, I blame Sean Hannity at Al at Fox News um, and you know all the rest who just have put that in the forefront of the party. I, I honestly believe that there are a lot of people out there who would have a lot less heartburn voting for conservative slash libertarian ideas if they didn't come with the Republican Party's social baggage. Mm. Well, you know, that's, uh, I think a lot of that is uh, <clears throat> predicated on what's important to the, to the uh, voters. And, and your point is the guys who are making this important to the voters are the Hannity's at all. Because you know politicians don't have a damn original thought. Uh, they stick their fingers up in the air, firmly up in the air, and figure out which way the wind's going, and that's what they're for or against. So if they're hearing a lot more about culture and a lot more about these cultural hot-button, hot um, uh, that's what the uh, politicians are going to concentrate on, and budget and all that other crap. Hey, there's only so many hours in the day, for God's sake. Yeah, so, you know, this is... And anyway, they've, they've fallen in love with magic money, too, so, hey, yeah, and what's, Hannity, what's your point? And yeah. Hannity can mobilize an audience and mobilize money in a way that few other can. So, therefore, whatever That's interests right. Sean Hannity becomes a national political issue. Yep, but, and the same can be said for uh, for, for the uh, the left. And yeah. their Look, Sean Hannity is no less Necromancers. Sean Hannity is no less of a propagandist than Brian Stelter on uh, on CNN. Yeah, he, true. he just sells the propaganda that his people like, and it's, or Don uh, Lemon, or what's yeah. her name, Rachel Maddow. Well, that's all it is now. I mean, all it is really is propagandists. It's hilarious sometimes, though. To I mean, it really is funny to watch either uh, side when a story comes out that is pretty cut and dried. And watch the pretzel-like 
narrative they put together to excuse whatever happened for their side. Just just watch the same story back to back on CNN and Fox. I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, it, it's, it's literally hilarious. like you're watching the news from two completely different countries. And and in and in most cases it didn't happen either way that it was reported. Oh yeah, and I'm not I'm not assuming that either one is right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every every news story in which I have been personally involved, when I've seen the accounts of that news story, they were wrong in usually more than one material fact. Right. And this is yeah, it's so so. I don't, re, you know, one of my primary problems whenever it comes to and you know I have this discussion here in my house all the time where, you know, my wife might say something and I will just say, well, you know, that that's wrong. How, you know, how do I know that it's wrong? Where do I get my information? Why is my information better? Or why is your information better than mine? Um, well, I got it from this place. Oh, and you trust them? Well, that's a problem. Because if we can't even agree on who can be trusted, if we can't even agree on who's telling us the truth and the facts about any issue of public interest. How, how are we supposed to make decisions? Yeah. Well, you know, Dale, we, we, we blogged a long time together. And I, and one of the things I learned early on was, was basically <clears throat> on a very, uh, controversial story to, to invoke the two day rule where I'm not writing anything for two days on this until I see what the hell really happened. Because, and like most, you said, most of the time, it was absolutely nothing like was first reported. And, and most likely, when you do find out what really <laughs> happened, it will be because you read it in the Daily Mail or... Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah. Or yeah. some non-American news source. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to watch the news. Now, look, I know what the BBC slant is. I lived over there long enough, uh, both in continental Europe and in the U.K., to get a sense of what, how the BBC reports stories. Uh, same thing with The Economist. I'm, I'm just very familiar with them. Um, however, it is not the same bias, and it is not the same... They don't have the political axe to grind that... They American don't have, the dog, they don't have yeah. a dog in the hunt. That's they don't right. Have, yeah, they don't have a dog in this hunt. So, so whenever they look at, at American politics, and even the BBC, which, which it, again, like I said, has a, a particular bias, even they tend to be much more even-handed in their coverage and factual than anything I can find in the American news sources. So <clears throat> yep. I, I'm trying to figure out how these, you know, these guys in London can have a better finger on the pulse of the American public than our own news media. But then again, I realize our own news media don't really care about having a finger on the pulse. Uh, and they don't no. really care about factual reporting as much as they care about reporting stories in such a way that reflects the particular wants of their listening audience, whatever listening yeah. audience they've decided to go for. And so, you know, it's all narrative. So, you know, as, as egregious as the BBC is on some stories, I have a lot more faith in their American reporting than I do on any American network. I would agree with you. I've seen it too many times not to. And yet we, we, I mean, we believe we are the most best informed 
people in the world. We have access to 24-7 news. Yeah, we do. Or something called news. Yeah, we have access to something called news. I'm not sure we have access to news. <laughs> yeah, which is why I, I basically digest my news on, in written form, where I can go and research something. You know, if something doesn't smell like, I can go, smell right. I can research it. Uh, other stories, what someone else says about it, what other news organization reports about it, that type of thing. But if you sit there and watch one channel all day, you're screwed. Yeah. You have a complete you, you have a completely slanted view on the world. Yeah, because all you're ever hearing is a narrative from one side or the yeah. other. Yep. Yeah. But that's how people like to get their news. And as I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, that Matt Taibbi really just put it down chapter and verse to how we got this way with the news media. Yeah. And I've been interested to watch our, our favorite sock puppet, puppet Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, um, really expose uh, all this nonsense that's going on as well. You know, I hate to say it, but I honestly regret <laughs> being as hard on that fella as we were. He knew he was wrong. <laughs> he knew he was wrong. Oh, that was funny. But I think the work that he has done since then has... Uh, Largely made up for any of his uh, youthful indiscretions. Yeah. I'll, I'll give him a pass on the sock puppet thing, even though I'm going to laugh and joke about it. Anyway. Oh, yeah, it's still funny. Let's not, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. Uh, no, I'll give it, yeah, he's, he's done some great work, uh, especially in, in exposing the hypocrisy uh, of those on the left. It's, and, and Glenn is no righty. No, I, I believe he considers himself a left libertarian yeah whatever that is yeah i'm not, I'm not sure i want to push the bounds <laughs> but that, of you're that. Right. but you're right that's what he considers himself you're I'm exactly sure right. i would want to push the bounds of libertarianism to see how much left fits into there oh over, over that line yeah good luck with that but anyway that's yeah, i think that's how he thinks of himself yes let's 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 use the term civil libertarian <laughs> okay that works i think that has a slightly different connotation that works but um uh who else was it hey that, i got uh, some speaking of uh, the, oh i got some well go ahead i got some i mean this this struck me as just funny uh, because of the the focus culturally so much on lgbtq so gallup does a a report and, and that report backs up uh, this fact that shows young adults today are more than three times more likely to report being LGBT than even Gen Xers were, okay? And heck, Gen Xers didn't have any problem admitting to it. But it's, but it's this is culture, okay? So it, Gallup says it's, it is simply becoming increasingly fashionable to be seen as sexually experimental today. Evidenced by the fact that 55% of those who told Gallup they were LGBT said they were bisexual. Then in the next sentence, Gallup says, most of those are coupled with opposite-sex partners when they do have a romantic partner. <laughs> so 55% are mostly yeah, heterosexual but don't want to admit it. Yeah, and exactly. then it, the, the last the last part of this is queer advocates and their media partisans regularly tell us that being LGBT is normal, natural thing. 
But the data is beyond dispute that young people are far more likely to identify being LGBT than are all other age groups. Imagine that. And here's the one, this, this, this is what tickled me, says, also that identity is often at odds with their actual sexual behavior as evidenced by the fact that women who openly identify as lesbian tend to have a stunningly high unwarranted pregnancy and abortion rate. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice bit of understatement there. Yeah, basic, so basically it's fashionable to be LGBT apparently. Yeah. Even if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, this is um uh this is something that that did interest me this week. Uh, that has kind of passed largely under the radar, and we have complained quite a lot about uh, the weird stuff that is going through Congress. However, H.R. 1280, the uh, on a party line vote, largely party line anyway, uh, passed. It is the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which uh, well has many provisions, some of them not very good, but one of them is that the bill would eliminate qualified immunity for all local, state, and federal law enforcement officers. Hmm. Now, that's something I could get behind. Well, what I could get behind is it, it uh, getting rid of qualified immunity for anybody in government. Yeah, although it's generally the police who are running around with guns, so if we're going to start anywhere, that might be a good place to start. Yeah, I, but uh, yes, you know, I, I, other officials need to be. Uh, yeah, need they to need be, to be held accountable as well because, uh, yeah, you, you can tell the difference between this is structurally what government has had us do to this is me doing this shit and I have qualified, screw you and I have qualified immunity. Yeah, and look, cops have gotten away with a lot of really egregious stuff. There was the, the case, uh, it was a year or two ago where the court held, okay. All of the sheriff's deputies that actually beat the prisoner to death aren't immune, but the other deputies who just stood around and watched him beat this guy to death, they do have qualified immunity. Mm. Yeah, qualified immunity covers up a multitude of evils. Yes, it does. And it has been used and abused for decades and decades, for centuries. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a get-out-of-jail-free card for cops. And yep. it's one that they pull every time they shoot somebody in the back. Or, you know, I mean, the only reason why the police were at the moment uh, not being prosecuted for beating a fellow to death in a jail cell was because they claimed qualified immunity. And it had to go to the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to say, nah, maybe that's a little too far. But the guys that just watched, they're still fine. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, the, the the guy who put it in was uh, New York Democrat Richie Torres. Um, again, not one of my favorite people politically and not one with whom I agree, but uh, the statement that he made really did resonate with me. He said, we as a country have a choice. We can either choose police accountability or choose qualified immunity, but we cannot choose both. And you know what? I th There's literally nothing in that statement with which I disagree. Yeah, and if you're interested in reading up on the abuses of the police, I recommend anything that Radley Balco has written. That guy has made a study of uh, 
police abuses that are it's unbelievable um and he can he can definitely uh give you the argument necessary to say yeah i think removing qualified uh immunity is a good idea and he's been researching this stuff for years and has forever and has been doing really great work i mean uh, he was doing that while we were, well, heck, you and I and John were writing Q&O. Radley Balco was, That's right. was doing. Radley was, was out, basically he had a blog. Yeah, and it was basically all police that's accountability. That's how he started. Yeah, that's how he started. He started with a blog, and uh, we used to read it all the time. He was, in fact, he was, um, uh, I, what got me started uh on the um, no more civil forfeiture bandwagon was Radley Balco. He wrote about that pretty extensively, and and I thought, God, this is a, this is just un-American. This is a travesty, and and it is. And that and Balco went on to really get into. Uh, he wrote so well and, and researched so well about this stuff that he started getting information from all over the United States about, hey, you need to look at this case, you need to look at this case. And and so that became what he did. He's written, I think, several books about it. Yeah, but I mean, the, the key takeaway from every one of his books, and it has been true for as long as humans have had government, if you give government officials any way out, they will abuse the hell out of it. Yep, and they'll take it. And right. they will act knowing they can get out of it. That's the other thing. Not just that, you know, if they do something, oh, a uh, uh, qualified immunity. They will use qualified immunity to excuse what they're doing. In other words, they know they're not going to get thrown under the bus. They have qualified immunity, so they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, you know, a takeoff. And I actually did a meme on it, in fact, when this was last discussed. It's the, uh, the South African ambassador from Lethal Weapon holding up his diplomatic ID saying, Qualified immunity. <laughs> well, hey, Bruce, have a great week. We will uh, we'll right, talk to you next week. You bet. You've been listening to Observations Q&O podcast for Friday, the 5th of March, 2021. On behalf of Bruce McQueen, this is Dale Frank saying thanks for listening. We hope you'll be here listening again next week. We appreciate the fact that you listen, and we'll talk to you a bit later. Have a great week, everybody. So long. <laughs>